We've entitled this morning's message, Seven Credentials, that Jesus is the Christ. That is on the back of your bulletin. The outline is very simple. I, I wanted to try to determine how best to give you that outline, and I figured if you didn't hear anything else, you'd have the seven points, and you can go home and study them yourself. But I want to stimulate your thinking this morning and provoke your thinking right at the outset as we begin to address this text, verses 30 through 47. Have you ever wondered yourself, have you ever pondered, have you ever thought about, or maybe experienced, how people, after they have been presented with overwhelming evidence of the reality of something, overwhelming evidence that the reality of something, they still cannot accept it or believe it. Have you ever just taken your head and just shake your head and say, with all of the evidence that's been presented, how can they not accept it? How can they not believe it? I'm sure you've experienced that, maybe even yourself, or you've wondered that. And you're probably thinking in terms of the Scriptures, and that's good. But let me give you some examples to talk about how important this text is before us. How about this one? Human life at the time of conception. Stay with me. Human life at the time of conception. That is that a baby is alive at the time of conception. We are living in a day and age in which there are ultrasounds available, in which there are echo exams that can be performed medically, in which, as you well know, we have scientific researched films on the process of the baby's development from the sperm and the egg all the way through delivery that you can see. People can go to the doctor's office today with technology and hear a heartbeat. We can and have seen, even in our public worldwide magazines, seen surgery performed on a baby whereby the baby in the womb lifts up its hand and grips the surgeon's finger. Evidence is overwhelming. And yet today, in our society, there are those who will look at all the evidence and say it's nothing but a blob. There's no life there. Hitting home? How about the existence of God? We look around at creation everywhere. There is no part of this world, none. South Pole, I'm pointing north, South Pole, North Pole, all right? East, West, it doesn't matter. Cold, warm, all the clouds in the world are all the sun. Doesn't matter. God's creation is overwhelming. We have the Bible here to give us the evidence. Jesus Christ himself has come into this world and spoken about the Father. People all have a human conscience that brings conviction, no matter where they're brought up, whatever the principles are. And men and women and boys and girls still refuse to believe the existence of God. Resurrection. We've studied that recently. 
The widow's son was raised. Lazarus was raised. Jesus, you just read in the responsive reading, was raised and seen 40 days. He was touched. He was handled. He was spoke with. He ate. People saw the evidence. The Bible gives us the evidence. Again, creation, the idea of flowers and the idea of spring and fall and death and life, the evidence is overwhelming. And people wonder, can there possibly be a resurrection? How much evidence do you need? How about the Holocaust? Yesterday I was in an all-day meeting. The whole board of elders was in an all-day meeting. And I was in the room, and during one of the breaks, I looked up on the wall, and there in uh, one of the classrooms for the school was pictures of people from the Holocaust. We have pictures of the Holocaust. We have survivors of the Holocaust, some of which have spoken to our own children in the school. We have eyewitnesses of soldiers, speaking of soldiers, who have gone in to the camps. We have the evidence of the concentration camps. We have the existence that's still around today and all the and there are people today that will say the Holocaust never happened. With all the evidence. Landing on the moon. <laughs> I like that one. Why? We have astronauts that have been there. We have astronauts that can say they didn't land on it, but they were in the ships. We have pictures of it. We have eyewitnesses and testimonies of people. And we get people all over the Internet that are saying, it just happened in some desert in Texas. You all got fooled. It never happened. And there's maybe some in this room that believe it never happened. How much evidence do you need? How about sickness? You go to the doctors. You get the doctor's report. The doctor says, I got some bad news for you. Shows you the x-rays. You see the technology. And you say, you see that thing there? not supposed to be there. I'm fine. Then you go home and, oh, the pain is, oh, but I'm good. You know, I don't need that surgery. I, no, I'm going to, okay. How much evidence do you need? Go to the doctors and get it fixed. He's saying what he can do. You see the foolishness of man? Well, I say all of that, and I could go on, obviously, for an hour with example after example after example. I hope you got the point. Man gets presented with evidence, and it is everywhere evident to us that when all the evidence comes in, we still want to believe the way we do. And it is absolutely amazing, it is absolutely astounding, the hardness of the human heart. Who's going to believe what he wants to believe, no matter how much evidence you will show him. Now, back to our text. How about Jesus? We talk about Jesus being the only Savior. We talk about Jesus being the Messiah. We talk about Jesus being the only way to heaven. And what happens? People read the Bible. People go to church. People listen to sound testimonies. People serve in local churches. People hear all of the evidence. And they go away and say, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. It's frightening. It's frightening. They can hear the clearest gospel message, see all the evidence all around, and still absolutely do not believe. Frightening. You may be in that category today. 
As we come to this text this morning, we're going to see the reality of what I just talked about. The evidence that is displayed, and I'll tell you this, at the end of this, there is absolutely no indication with all the evidence that Christ presents that these Jewish leaders ever came to trust in Christ. Though the evidence was overwhelming. Now, for those of you that are absolutely lost and tuned me out, because theologically you went off and said that's because of the, it's got to be the sovereignty of God. Listen, come back to reality. I know and I believe that. But nevertheless, we have to see what God is presenting to us here. Today and throughout the world, there is evidence overwhelming in our context to bring us right to date and to get to it. We are in now the final conversation of the Lord Jesus Christ after he has healed the impotent man in the beginning of chapter 5. That's where we are in the context. He's healed the impotent man. He's in a conversation. He has been for the past few weeks with our study. And now we're in the last conversation that he's going to have. Now, what does that mean? Jesus has claimed to his audience that he is the Messiah. He has claimed to the audience that he is the Son of God. He has claimed to his audience that he is equal with God. He has claimed to his audience that he is the giver of life. He has claimed to the audience that he will be the final judge of all mankind. There are some of the claims just in this chapter alone that we have studied together where Jesus Christ has said all of that. And when you come to this, they still won't believe him. And what is their comment, basically? It's basically this, give us the evidence. He's given them plenty, but give us the evidence. So Jesus obliges them, if you will. And in our context, he will show them overwhelming evidence as to who he is in all of those claims that I've just mentioned. And yet we're going to see they still don't come to believe. But before I lose you, in case the heat puts you to sleep and not my preaching, or both, let me mention this right away. Here is my challenge to everyone in this audience. I don't care how long you've been coming to Fellowship Bible Church. Consider the evidence that's before you. Consider the evidence and the credentials of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't come to believe, today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the evidence is overwhelming here, and you may never hear the evidence again. It is very possible. It is absolutely frightening. Wait till I get to point number seven. It is absolutely frightening to see how many people can handle God's word and know what God's word says and still have never had their heart changed. Frightening. As we come to this text, the word witness we find right away in verse 30. It says, and I can do nothing uh, of my own initiative. I'm sorry. There is one that bears witness of me that's found in verse 31. And we're going to see that term witness. And what is it? We're going to see it in its noun form and its verb form about 11 times in this section. It's where we get our term martyr from, to make it simple to tell you how to understand. What does it mean? Let me just put it to you this way. The word witness means to witness. That's fine. To certify, to affirm, or as one lexicon put it, it is a declaration of the evidence. To be a witness is to give the declaration of the evidence that supports the statements that have been said. And so that's what he's going to do. 
In this passage, he will give us what I feel the most focus on four or five is seven evidences that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. That is co-equal with God, that is the Son of God, that is the only Savior, the one giver of life, judgment, etc. that I just named. And the first evidence is the unity with the Father, verse 30. Let's jump right into it. As we come to verse 30, this is a transition verse. I'll read it again. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if you've been with us, we have seen that he's transitioning from the resurrection, verses 25 through 29, where all will be called forth from the graves, and he's now presenting the evidences. And he's been dealing with the unity of him and the Father. Where? Let me just highlight him. Look at verse 17. He says, My Father works until now, and I myself am working. Verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son do. Perfect unity. We've talked about that in our messages. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son of Man gives life. He's talking about unity. Jump down to verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. You jump down to verse 26, last week's message. He just as, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave uh, to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Everywhere in the context. I hope you got that. Everywhere in the context, he's been talking about the unity. And so I would say the first witness, again, in the context is really verse 30. Because in the transition, he's again pointing to the fact of the unity. I can do nothing of my own initiative. And he's not ignoring the fact and saying I'm less than God because he would be contradicting everything he said. He's just, again, reiterating the unity. And I want you to notice, I'm not going to spend the time, but it's overwhelming in this passage, and I've already read it. There's a switch intentionally where God moves from the third person here, and you will see the word I, 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 I. Jesus Christ goes right back to the first person. In the whole context, throughout it, from beginning to end. Because he's now going to present. He's been talking about the unity and himself as a third, uh, in, the, in the third person, united with the Father, and now he transitions right into this and talks about it. The conclusion of what I'm saying to you in verse 30 is not saying that he doesn't have equality with the Father because he's been teaching that. He's again saying, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I work in conjunction with the Father. What I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I don't do it in my own will. I'm in harmony with him. And it goes right back to verse 24. And that is simply this that I want to state. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And in verse 24, he says, if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. So verse 30 is a transition verse in which the first evidence he gives is all that he's been saying. I don't work alone. I work with the Father. And if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. You don't believe in me, you don't believe in the Father. The second evidence is the claim of Jesus Christ himself, verse 31. And don't be confused by the verse, I'll explain it. In verse 31, and you notice if you happen to be looking at a New American Standard, uh, some translation, the, the word alone is there in italics. It's best to look at it without that. If I bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. This is a good lesson on Bible interpretation. 
how you need to look at the context. Is Jesus saying here that it's no good what he says? Absolutely not. Let me tell you what he's not saying and then show you and prove to you what I'm saying. This, number one, the condition here is not a situation where it's if I say this and I don't mean to say it. That's not what he's saying in the context for those of you that know the language. Secondly, he's not saying that his testimony alone is no good. That's not what he's saying at all. If that were true, turn with me to chapter 8. Tap chapter 8. Look at what he says later. In verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Watch, same person talking. Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. If it stays alone with me, it's true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. Keep your finger there. You see, the point is, he's not saying, he's not contradicting himself in verse 31. Well, then what is he saying, Pastor Dan? What he is saying in its context is simply this. From their point of view, from their point of view, Jesus knew that they would not accept his testimony alone. He wasn't saying that it was not good. What he was saying is if it stands alone, you won't accept it. You say, I don't know, Pastor Dan, that's your interpretation. Go back to chapter 8. Look at verses 12 and 13. For therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now watch verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And you see in verse 14, he says, my witness is true alone. The problem is you won't accept it by, himself, by itself. Go back to John chapter 3 for just one second. John chapter 3, verse 13, 11, excuse me, 11. We already studied this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak, he's including himself, that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen. Now watch this. And you do not receive our witness. That's the context of chapter 5. So what I'm saying to you, don't be fooled by the fact in verse 31 when he says, I bear witness of myself, my testimony, if I bear witness of myself, my testimony is true. Not true. He's not contradicting himself. He knows it's true. But in their eyes, it wasn't. And that's, the, that's where he's coming from in the context. So the first testimony is a unity. The second testimony, I believe in the context, is Jesus Christ himself. His testimony is good by itself, even though they won't accept it. And there are people that are like that today. They'll look and they'll say, I can't believe the Bible because that's what Jesus is speaking and so forth, and he's speaking about himself. It doesn't matter. I can turn around and I can say to you, I was born in Lawrence. That testimony is true. Why? I am speaking it, yes, and I know it's true. I know where I came from. And you could say that wherever you came from and so forth. You see, Jesus knew where he came from, where he was going, and his testimony was good. They just wouldn't accept it. And part of that was because of their thinking on the law. So there's the first two. So he already clearly stated in chapter 3, and we see it again in chapter 5, his testimony is good, but they won't accept it. The third testimony is what's called another. These first few are easy to bounce through. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness to me, and I know that the witness and the testimony which he bears of me is true. And by the way, there are three different forms of the same word there. Witness is actually used three times. The word witness, the word testimony, the word bears all goes back to the same root. And so what he's saying is the witnesses are overwhelming of another. Who is the another? 
Well, let me first of all get this, you understand the text. Whoever another is, it's a present active participle. What does that mean, Pastor Dan? Simply this. This person is always, always has, and is currently continuing, and will continue, really. But the idea is continuous action, bearing witness as to who Jesus Christ is. Who is that other? It's not John the Baptist in the context. Uh, it doesn't state in the context, so we really don't know. I will tell you this. Most commentaries believe it's the Father because of verse 30 and because of verse 36. And I think there's a lot of credence to that. Because in verse 36, he says, but the witness which I have is greater than that of John. And then he gets into his works and so forth. That may be. But I wouldn't discount the fact that it could be the Holy Spirit personally. And though many feel that's contrary to the text, I don't think so. Because in the works, it is the Holy Spirit that bears witness through the works as well. And he deals with his father in verses 37 and 38. So who is another? I'm not exactly sure, but it's certainly got to be someone that's not human. So it's either the Father or the Holy Spirit. So there's three evidences. Now, a lot of the world won't accept those either. Where do you go from there? Well, he tells them another one they know of, John the Baptist, verses 33 to 35. That's the fourth witness, John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now, what does that mean? When did they find that out? Go back with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want you to see it. Look at verse 19. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as, the, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now look at verse 24, and they had been sent from the Pharisees. And that's what he means in chapter 5. He says, you sent to ask John who he was and who I am. John told you. John bore testimony, and I'll show you that in a second in chapter 1. Jesus did not need John's testimony, verse 34, but the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Why did Jesus point them back even to John the Baptist? He desired, that's why it says God's heart is that all men be saved. Our desire in presenting the gospel, our desire in presenting the evidence, God's desire in presenting the evidence in chapter 5 is that people would get saved. What does that mean to get saved? To be saved from the damnation of their sin. To be saved from hell, which is real. To be saved from eternal damnation, which is going to be experienced by all those who don't believe. Death is coming physically, but it's also coming spiritually for those who don't believe. And God's desire is to see them saved. So he pointed him back. Look, you even asked. You asked John who I was or who he was and wanted to know. And he bore witness. And he says in verse 35, he was a lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while. Where does that fit into the context? If you remember what happened, they came out to John until John would turn around and say such things as, you vipers, you snakes. Why did you come out? You didn't come out for true repentance. They turned away. They even liked coming out to Jesus, we saw in the Gospel of John, for a little while. But as he was growing, now they're concerned for their own reputation. And they, they were fascinated and rejoiced a little bit. But they didn't want Christ to expand. It says that John was a lamp. He wasn't the light. He was the lamp. Go back to John chapter 1 again. I want you to see this. Verses 6 through 8 is what it's referring to. 
there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came, why? For a witness that he might bear witness, what? Of the light that, the, that all men might believe through him. Watch verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. You see? John the Baptist came to point people to Christ. Jump down to verse 23. Verse 23 said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We looked at that. How about verse 26? Jesus answered, I baptize you with water, but there's one among you who you do not know. It is he who comes after me, and he's the one that's the true light. Down to verse 29. Watch this. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. You get the point? I could continue to go on through chapter 1. John the Baptist was the evidence they had. They knew the miracle. They knew what John was doing. They knew how people were coming out in the wilderness. They knew his message, and they had the evidence, and they wouldn't believe it. Jesus himself told who he was. Another told who he was. The unity with the Father made it obvious by his claims. John the Baptist bore witness to who he was. And what? Even the works of Jesus Christ, number five. Let's turn to that, verse 36. The works of Jesus Christ. But the witness which I have is greater than even that of John. Why? Here's why. Or because. For, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works, and notice again the I, the I, that I do bear witness of me. There the word witness is used twice. What? That the Father has sent me. The things that Jesus Christ did. What things? The miracles. The signs. I want you to see what one of their own said. Go back to chapter 3 of John. And hopefully I'm doing this for a purpose for you. Not only to see the evidence, but to see how the gospel has been building. Do you see how the book of John flows? It's been building. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. This was Nicodemus. Remember him? Watch what he said. For this man came to him, that is, came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. Why did he say that? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Even Nicodemus knew that. He said, we look at the works, we look at the signs, we look at the miracles. That's why John is only selecting some of them. And he says, you want evidence? Let me give you a fifth one. Look at the works that I do. What works? Think about what we've already seen. The wedding feast, the water into wine, they would have seen that. The impotent man, chapter 5, that's the context. They saw the evidence of what Jesus Christ was able to do. They had knowledge of what happened with the woman at the well who Christ told all his past. He couldn't do that unless he was the Messiah. They had heard about Many of them had witnessed what? The cleansing of the temple. That's just John. Beyond that, what are the miracles of Jesus? The healing of the lepers. The casting out of demons. The blind being able to see. The feeding of 5,000 is physical. Stilling the storm, nature. Raising the dead. The evidence was overwhelming when you consider the works that Jesus has done. And they still won't believe. Said so you won't believe John? You won't believe what I say? Look at the works. Look at what my life has produced. And you will see the evidence that I am who I claim to be. In fact, 
I need to say it. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just turn. If you want, you can turn there. I'll be very quick, though. Acts chapter 2. Let me read to you verse 22. Here's a testimony in the first sermon that comes after Jesus leaves this earth to go back to heaven. In verse 22, here's what Peter says. Listen to it. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in the midst just as you know. You can't deny what he's been doing. Nicodemus couldn't deny it. You can sit here today and read your Bible about the miracles and say, as science does, ah, we can't believe any of it because we don't believe in miracles. But that's just a hard heart. The reality is those things happen. The reality is Jesus Christ came in history. The reality is his testimony stands. The reality is the evidence was overwhelming, and he sent John. People's reaction to miracles done by him, uh, absolutely amazing. He fed, he healed, but all people want, honestly, and it's true today, People talk about miracles today. Let me give you what people really want today. And I'll use the biblical examples, really. They want to be fed physically. They want to be healed because they don't have any pain. And they want to be happy. That's my opinion. My opinion today in our world that we're living in, the 21st century, people just want to be fed physically. They want to be healed miraculously. That's why you've got all these programs on TV. That's why I got, you've got all this phoniness that's going on. And they just want to be happy and left alone. And they don't want Christ at all. They need to come to Christ. And if you don't think that's true, since we're in chapter 5, just quickly look at chapter 6 of John. Stay with me, we're getting there. Chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled coming after me for what you saw. You just want more food. Look at what he's going to say to them in chapter 6 when we get that far in our study. Verse 66. And as a result of what? All that Jesus did and what he said, many of his disciples would withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That is the context of what I taught a few weeks ago. Some people are presented with the reality that Jesus is God and that's their line. You get there and they say, that's not the Jesus I want. That is the Jesus of the Bible. People want to be happy and they'll go so far, but leave me alone. If you take me too far with Jesus, I don't want him. The evidence is overwhelming just by the works. If that's not enough, people say they believe in God. That's number six. Go back to John chapter 5, verses 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness to me. That is, people refer to God. That's God the Father as we know it. You have, and before I get to the charges, you notice that in verse 37. It's a pre perfect tense here. God the Father has testified in the Old Testament. He's testified in the New Testament. And he will forever testify as to who Jesus Christ is. Why? All well, goes back to our first point, the unity. The unity. Father continues this day and age to testify as to who Jesus Christ is. There's no specifics as to given as to how. Maybe he's referring to the baptism. I don't know. Some feel he's referring to the transfiguration in verse 37. I don't know because he doesn't say. That's not the point. Don't get bogged down in that. 
the fact of the matter is another witness, the sixth one, is the father. He has said that this is his son. He has said that he loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son. Chapter 3. What's the problem? Three rebukes in verses 37 and 38. Here they are. You've neither heard his voice, you've neither seen his form, and you have not his word abiding in you. You don't hear him, you don't see him, and you don't have his word in you. What a charge. This is a charge to the religious leaders. He's saying to them, I've been giving you all this evidence, and you've heard with your ears, but you haven't heard. You've seen, in a sense, but you haven't really seen him. They didn't believe Jesus Christ. And his, and his word absolutely was not abiding in him. They had it. They had all the evidence in the world, but they refused all the evidence that had been given. In fact, I'll give you this reference, and for time I won't turn. The Acts chapter 7, verse 52, you know what it says? What the Jews basically did was they killed the prophets that God sent. They didn't like what they heard, and that is happening today. There are martyrs throughout the world. Right now as we preach, there are people in the Philippines, there are people all in Africa, there are people all around the world that are giving their lives because they're speaking out for Christ, and the way people want to silence them is to kill them. And we may not be that far in which we're going to really find out who the true Christians are in our day and age because of the way the world's moving in which you're going to have to really stand up for what you believe and it might cost you your life. You see, they had all the evidence in the world, but they hadn't really believed. They had the unity of the Father. They had Jesus himself. They had another. They had John the Baptist. They had the works of, the, of Jesus. They had the Father. And now the most devastating at all, and if you've been away from me for most of the message, turn your ears up right now. I know you're getting ready to eat, but turn your ears up. Why? This is the most devastating of all. Number seven, the scriptures. The Bible. The scrolls. The scriptures give overwhelming evidence, but I want you to see the absolute astounding statement in verse 39. It says, you search the scriptures. Now, if you happen to be looking at a King James translation, they happen to use the imperative mood there, and that is possible. But I believe it's the indicative mood, and I believe the New American Standard has it right. It can be either one. Why? Because of the context. What's the difference? In case you don't know what that means. I believe what he's saying is, you are searching the Scriptures. You're doing it. He's not saying go search the Scriptures right now, and the evidence is the rest of the verses because he's going to say at the end of it, you have Moses and you're not listening. You see, they search the Scriptures, and that's the charge that Jesus has given to them. They were studying the Scriptures. They knew their Bibles. And if you want me to be specific with you, Here's some of the quotations that I'll give you out of some of the research that I did. The Jewish scribes knew the number of every one of the verses. They went so far as they counted the very words of Scripture so that when they were copying over, they made sure it was right. They counted the letters in every single book. That's how accurate they were with knowing the Scriptures. They knew, this was astounding to me, they knew where the middle letter was in every book. The middle letter. 
they knew where the middle word was in every book. They knew where the middle word was on every scroll that was written. That's how deep they studied the scriptures. They could quote the scriptures backwards and forwards. That's what he's saying. You search the scriptures. Why? Because they thought they had eternal life. That's what he's saying. You think you have eternal life. Now, what's the context of that? They thought they had eternal life. Why? Because they thought they were the sons of Abraham and that was it. And if you know your New Testament, you know that's true. They figured by the time we get to chapter 8, you're going to see that. We search the scriptures. It's through Abraham's seed. Where of Abraham's seed? I'm on my way to heaven. Want me to be practical? I read my Bible every day. I do Bible memorization all the time. I can quote Bible memory verses to you backwards and forwards. I have eternal life. Not necessarily. You might be searching the scriptures daily. You might be serving in a local church. You might be able to quote backwards and frontwards the word of God, but it's never gripped your heart. It's frightening. These were people who could tell you where the middle of the verses were. They could tell you where the middle letters were. They could tell you it backwards and forwards, and they weren't saved. Why? How do you know, Pastor Dan? It says in verse 39, with all that knowledge, it is these that bear witness of me. All of your study was to point you to the cross. All of your study was to point you to the Messiah. And you won't accept me. That's the essence of this passage. They would not do it. They weren't willing to come to him. Look at verse 48. You, and you cannot get away from this, and you are unwilling to come to me, it is clear. How the sovereignty of God works with the belief of man is presented right here in this verse, folks. God is holding them responsible. You are unwilling to do it. And there are people today, you can present all the evidence, you can present the Bible, you can give the clearest testimony of Jesus Christ, they can go back and see Jesus Christ raised from the dead, they can have all the evidence in the world, and they don't want to believe on Jesus, if they think it's going to ruin their life. Let me tell you something, if you don't come to Jesus Christ, your life is already ruined, and you're going to face eternal damnation. The only way you're going to face eternal life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who the Father sent to die on the cross of Calvary and pay the debt for your sin. Rose from the grave victoriously and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding. And right now, through the message that's being preached this morning, giving you further evidence that Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life, the one you need to believe on. And some of you will walk out of this door today and still won't believe. That's because God's got to do a transaction in your heart, yes, but also because you are unwilling to see it, receive it. They were unwilling to come. Why? Isn't it stupid? Sorry to be so blunt, but I'm not sorry. It's crazy. They won't come. Why? So they can have life. Who doesn't want life? Who doesn't want to live in this world? Yes. Who does not want to have eternal life? Only a fool. That's why a fool won't believe in their heart that there is a God. A fool has no fear of God in their heart. A fool won't look at all the evidence and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, if you don't know Christ, you need to come to your knees right now. You need to humble your heart with all the evidence that God has given that Jesus Christ. And you cannot, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to do this. 
you look at the rest of the verses, and I'm not avoiding anything, but I know you that you do not have, watch this, the love of God in your heart. People talk about the love of God. They don't really have the love of God. You have come, I've come in my Father's name. You won't receive me. If another one comes in his own name, you'll receive him. I'm being very quick. You want the evidence of that? Well, I can give you overwhelming evidence of that. The Mormons is an example. The Mormons follow one person. That's where it all came from. The Moonies follow after Dr. Moon. They won't follow after Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Christian scientists, same thing. And to save time, let me get you right to the bottom line. In, and I believe that may be the context here. In the future, people are going to follow after the Antichrist rather than follow after Christ. See, people will follow. You heard about it. There are jo Jim Jones, jo what's his, was it Jim Jones? And all the people that followed him and died and gave their lives. There are people that are following after men that have nothing to do with the deity of Christ, have nothing to do with eternal life, and they'll follow them rather than follow the true one that can give them life. What foolishness. And if you think you can put a wedge between like the Jews do today, well, I believe Moses, but I don't know that I can believe that New Testament in Jesus Christ. Well, I know that's the glory of men. Jesus wasn't interested in that in verses 43 and 44. But look at verse 45. Don't think that uh, I will accuse you before the Father. Notice this. There's another one that accuses you. Moses, you got the Pentateuch. You got the first five books. That's what's going to bear witness against you. The one in whom you set your hope. And that's what they would say. Well, we can't believe that, you know, anything outside of those first five books. Really? Well, I want you to know something. What is that? Look at verse 46. If you don't believe Moses, you won't believe me. And you know why? Because he wrote of me. Wow. The scriptures wrote of Jesus? Moses wrote of Jesus coming? Absolutely. That's why through the pages of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it all points to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God wants to get a message across to you. What is that? The wages of sin is death. You say, what do you mean sin? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There isn't a one of us that haven't sinned. You say, yeah, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. That's not the issue. There's a chain out here, I think, on the side of the building, right? Most of us know that, so you can't get around the back and so forth and, and so on. If, or if you don't know about that chain, just think about a chain. All you need to do is break one link and the chain's gone. If you've ever lied, if you've ever had bitterness in your heart, I don't know if I go on, do I have to go any further? If you've ever hated somebody, if you've ever looked on another person and lusted after them, I think I've covered most of it right now for all of us. All right? If you've ever done that, the chain's broken, there is no hope for you apart from Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, out of God's love, came into this world to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. And a man who knew no sin, knew no sin became sin that we could have life. That's what the Scriptures pointed to. And listen to me carefully. Don't just hear this and nothing else in the context. That is why if you do not accept Jesus of the Scriptures, you're not accepting the right Jesus. And I'm saying that having been to Thailand, having been to Mexico, having been to Guatemala, there are some who tack on Jesus just like they will tack on a Buddha. They will tack on Jesus just like they will tack on 
uh, a Roman Catholic idol. Listen, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And if that's the way they go away with an understanding that he's just like them, they don't have a Savior. That's what he's saying. You've got to believe the one found in the Scriptures, the one that Moses is speaking of. Now, somebody may not have all of that knowledge at once. Absolutely. But if they come to the point in time and say, now that you've explained to me that Jesus rose from the dead, now that you've explained to me that he's God, that he's the only way, I can't accept that. That person's not a believer. That's what I was saying in the context. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, you don't have hope because Moses wrote of me. You think you can rest in that. But it was talking about me. If you don't believe his writings, verse 47, you will not believe my words. I'll wrap it up this way. The evidence is clear. What is clear? Of who Jesus Christ is. Who is he? He's God that left his throne, came to earth. Jesus, in that stable in Bethlehem, was God with us. He came because God loved us. He came because there is no man that can save himself. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. There is no religion that can get you to heaven. But he paid the penalty for, for sin on the cross. He was buried and rose again. He's shown us through his works, the Father, and all the other evidences that we looked at today. The scriptures point to it. And you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, will you be saved? Yes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When? Tomorrow? You have no guarantee of tomorrow. And he's got to be in here. Get that. These Jews were searching the scriptures and they knew their Bible and they weren't saved. You can read the Bible every day, folks. You can do as Nikita Khrushchev did. Memorize some scripture in case you don't think he did that. He did in order to get candy. But never believe on the God of the Bible. You need to come and in your heart and that's the only way you'll have eternal life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our heart's desire for you. Don't leave this building. You can do it right there in your pew by admitting you're a sinner and trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. And if you've been fooling yourself all these years just because you know a lot of Bible, that's no different from the Pharisees. They knew it, but they didn't let it control their lives. They didn't really believe it in here. It's got to move from here to here. Let's close in prayer. And Father and God, we thank you and praise you for the evidences. We went through them quick this morning, but we see the overwhelming evidences that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Who is that? The Savior of the world. I thank you that Jesus Christ came into this world. I thank you that he bore the penalty and price of sin. I thank you that he offers eternal life for those who will believe. We know, Father, that the human heart is so resistant. We cannot understand or comprehend these things. We cannot be moved by our own wills. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God in hearts right here and help people to see that the only way that they get eternal life, the only way that they have assurance of life with God after they leave this world is to believe on the one whom you've sent, the Lord Jesus Christ they might see that he is the only Savior that you've provided. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And that no man can come unto the Father but by him. And might they believe right here in this room in the pew. Father, those of us that know him, 
those of us who have truly trusted in Christ, help us, Father, to live for you. Help us, Father, that with boldness we'd go forth and preach the gospel that others might understand because there's so many. Let us not be fooled by people that just say they believe in God or even are reading the Bible. But let us have such a concern for their souls that we make sure we present the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done, a gospel of grace, not of works, that people might come to be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.